the Ain't No Fang podcast. From Arizona Sports, Ain't No Fang. Well, the clock is ticking, and we're that much closer to baseball season. Only problem is, baseball doesn't really exist as a sport right now. I'm Steve Zinsmeister, along with Cody Fincher, the Bear, on the Ain't No Fang podcast. And as we get closer and closer to spring training, supposed to start in February nowadays, we still don't have baseball, Bear, and it looks like the players and the owners will meet this coming Monday. The uh, players will be basically rebutting to the offer that was already proposed from the ownership groups. What is it that we should expect, though? Is this just going to set us back even further, and will anything actually get done? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's going to happen. Um, I mean, it's going to go the same way we always it, – it's going to go the same way it did in 2020 when they were trying to figure out how to play during the COVID-19 pandemic. It's going to be – It might not be as intense because they were literally trying to figure out how to, you know, play any games at all during a pandemic. And they now know how to play in, in a pandemic. They got off a successful season last year with fans and all that. So, but, so I don't expect like the, the intense, like, you know, Blake Snell coming out saying, you know, I'm risking my life to play blah, 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 because it was all about money and it's still probably all about money, but, we literally have to figure out, you know, are, is there going to be a universal DH? I guess one of the proposals that the owners put out there in the first meeting was, you know, arbitration. They're, they might want to change something to arbitration. They might want to, you know, start, I, I think, a, a draft lottery or something, uh, <laughs> which would make the draft, I guess, a little more interesting. I don't know, but it seemed like none of the proposals at least that I quickly read about were beneficial to the players. So of course that got shot down and whatever the players counter with in this meeting, that's supposed to happen on Monday, it will also get shot down. It's that's, that's just how it's going to be, man. It's just, it's, it's really annoying. It sucks. Um, Passin, Jeff Passin has been tweeting that he'll be surprised if spring training starts on time. I'm not going to be shocked if the regular season doesn't start on time. It's just how baseball always does these negotiations. And it seems just like it gets dragged out to the last minute. You know what I mean? So um, I don't know. I, I don't know what to expect and I don't know what the players are going to offer or, or propose to the, to the owners, but I don't think we're going to have a resolution after the second meeting. You know what I mean? Yeah, in a lot of ways, this is just like a negotiation in any industry. You know, things don't get done until the last second. And if you stick with just sports, stick with just baseball, we hear a lot about negotiations around the trade deadline. Teams trying to figure out, okay, which players are we giving up and who are we getting back? And those things often go down to the very last second. I mean, the Zach Greinke trade to the Houston Astros didn't come down until five to ten minutes after the trade deadline actually happened is when we all found out about it. So the midnight yeah. hour is a popular hour when it is, comes to getting things done. I'm reading the notes right now from the first meeting. The MLB's proposal focused mostly on what you talked about, the draft order, which could be a lottery system. They talked about arbitration, which is a, a big important thing, and the possible solutions to service time manipulation. Another thing that I think is super important, those are all really impactful things in the sport of baseball that not a lot of other sports deal with. They have drafts. That's one thing that all sports pretty much have. 
But you've got systems in free agency that still need to be addressed, uh, other issues like competitive balance uh, taxes and, and how to keep teams competitive. Those things are still yet to be addressed by the owners, so I'm guessing the players with their rebuttal on Monday will not be too happy about that. I'm interested to see what they propose that wasn't in the initial owner's proposal. But again, that's to be seen on Monday. They will meet again, and I'm kind of with you, Bear. I doubt that we see any significant progress, but I will say this. I'm glad that they're meeting. I'm glad that they're yeah. I'm glad they're exchanging notes, even if we do kind of have to come down to the deadline here in the next month or so. And it, it is encouraging that they are meeting now like twice in the last month. So, I, which sounds ridiculous, right? Like you feel like they should be meeting like once a week or something, you know, to, to, to talk about stuff. But I'm encouraged that they are having a dialogue after going almost the whole winter without talking to each other. I feel like what was it, the last time they talked to each other before that first January meeting a couple of weeks ago was at the winter meetings, right. in free agency. So, and if I remember correctly, that meeting was like 10 minutes long and like no one really, no, nothing got anywhere. So at least they're talking, like you said, as is encouraging, I guess, but man, it's just I, the way that, I don't know. I, I feel like baseball kind of showed its true colors in 2020 with the negotiation process, you know, like not being able to come to a, an agreement until they're like, okay, let's just play 60 games. You know, it was, they were totally unprepared for something like that. But I mean, and, and so what I, in your mind, what is, what are the biggest issues at the iron? Is it, is it expanded playoffs trying to get that to be a, uh, uh, forever thing that baseball does is the, I don't I feel like the universal DH is like really down on the totem pole you know but like what do you think is the biggest one yeah I think the universal DH is something that always gets thrown around as somewhat of a political tool you know it, it, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's something gets thrown in the mix but I don't think it's a super divisive issue that is getting uh, one side or the other all hot and bothered I think really what it boils down to for me and like this is like any business negotiation Follow the money. For the owners, that means, like you said, expanding the playoffs, having more teams in the playoffs. Like all the other leagues have, half the league makes the playoffs in the NBA. Half the league makes the playoffs now in the NFL. Baseball wants that. And owners want as many games as possible on national TV to get that money into their organization. So on the owner's side, it's that. On the player's side, I think it's follow the money again. We want to be able to earn more money. If we're a significantly good player in the first six years of our career, the way the system is currently set up, it's not in favor of the player. If you're a great player in the first two years of your career or three years while you're still under team control, you might be making minor league money for the first three years. That's just the way the system works. And then arbitration hits and you get somewhat of a boost. And I do like that system, but it needs to be amended because... How often nowadays do we see a player come in who's 22 years old and is the best player in baseball? I think of like Fernando Tatis, Vlad Jr., uh, Ronald Acuna was one of the better very early on, Juan Soto. A lot of the game's best players are still very early in their time in the major leagues. They're not eligible for free agency yet. They can't earn $35 million a year or or $45 million a year, which is what Max Scherzer and Trevor Bauer have gotten recently. Those guys aren't eligible for that money because of the way the system is set up, and I think players would love to enable teams to give more to those players. Now, 
a lot of teams do provide that to players when they recognize we have to be able to keep this guy long term. Fernando Tatis has already gotten a massive, massive contract, not through free agency, but just the team investing in him. I assume Vlad Guerrero will do the same if he hasn't already. I honestly don't know his contract situation. But you look at like Mike Trout and when the Angels recognized, you know what, he hasn't free agency yet. But we need to pay that guy. Otherwise, he's going to hit free agency and somebody else might have more in their wallet than we do. So I think that's what's important to either side. It's just a matter of which side is willing to give up more. I I always thought that arbitration was weird because it's literally taking in a player that you really value on your team and throwing him into a uh, like uh, the same room with lawyers and telling a, an arbitrator hey, this is why we don't want to pay him. This is why we don't want to pay him that much that he wants because, yeah, he was really good last year, but uh, he he made, like, this many errors, so that's that's 100 grand right there. And, you know, like, it's weird, right? And, like, I know it's just part of – it's been part of baseball forever, and I'm sure these players, like, don't – maybe they don't think twice about it. Maybe some of them do. But like I always felt like it's just weird that like Archie Bradley talked about it openly when he was with the D-backs, like when he started going through arbitration with them. And like, you know, you kind of have to not take it personal, even though they are in a room talking to a a mediator, an arbitrator saying, hey, this is why we don't want to pay Archie Bradley. You know what I mean? And while Archie Bradley's sitting there. It's, it's you know it's it's so weird. Yeah, nobody and, nobody wants to sit across from their boss and be told why they don't deserve to be paid right. more. Right. It's just it, it and I always felt like is that all is that always is that the best way we can do this? Like but I don't know. But so anyway, yeah, it, I the draft lottery thing interesting. I don't know really what you would do like unless you just completely copy the NBA. Um I don't know. I, the, the MLB draft is so different anyway because they take you know, you can take these high school kids and either that or it's a kid that's been at college for three years. I don't know. It's it's different than the NBA for sure because now the NBA still has the one-year-in-college rule. But I think that's probably going away too, so who knows. Yeah, I, I, but, think, I think the draft won't change much. I think it's the draft order <clears throat> that could possibly yeah. change. I mean, we've seen even here with the D-backs – you know, they and the Orioles at the end of this past season were kind of going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth on who was the worst team and therefore getting the number one pick uh, in June's draft. And, you know, you lose out on a technicality because you tie with the Orioles, which means we have yeah. to look back to last year. And last <laughs> year they tied, the, so we had to go back to the year before. I guess the lottery would take away that stupid, that stupid rule where it's like, well, you're the same record, so let's go back to last year. You know, like, that's so stupid because, I mean, if we go back to, to what what did you say it was two years ago? Yeah. 2019, the D-backs weren't horrible. The Orioles were. And it's just like, that's kind of not fair. They like, had the, the number D-backs, one pick that year. Yeah, they've been, and the D-backs have been bad pretty much since then. And it's just like, that's kind of not fair to me that, you know, you're going to go all the way. It's such a friggin' like, first of all, it's like one in a million chance that the D-backs and Orioles would finish with the same record two years in a row. Like, come on. Are you serious? Like, <laughs> True. So I, I, I dare, I, I don't think anyone really thought that was ever going to happen, but yeah, I don't know. This is still, the, this whole lockout thing is far, far from over. 
Um, we're, I wouldn't be surprised, like Jeff Passman has said, I wouldn't be shocked at all if, you know, spring training doesn't start on time. I wouldn't be shocked, even in my opinion, if the regular season doesn't start on time. Just the way these things have gone with baseball, the owners and the and the players association. So, I mean, I guess you got to hope for the best, but I don't know. It's it's discouraging still. I you I wish these things weren't like this because it's it's almost just like I feel like we're not going to have baseball, and I love baseball and I need baseball in my life so. Yeah, and I don't know. The biggest part about that too is the longer this drags on, let's say you do delay the start of spring training. Well, now you got to figure out between the players in the league. Now they have to negotiate an additional right. thing. Now they have to negotiate, okay, are we going to just play out the rest of spring training and and you know, the games we missed, we missed. That's fine. Or do you push back the end of spring training, therefore delaying the start of the regular season? Or Like you were proposing there, maybe they back up all the way into the actual regular season and we still haven't had a spring training. Do you still need that spring training? In 2020, with the pandemic, they did a summer camp for two weeks. Uh, Do we need to do that? Like a delayed late spring training. So the longer this lasts, the longer this drags on the more you have to negotiate because now you got to figure out, okay, are we making up these games we miss? Uh, are we trying to tack them on at the end of the season, which then delays the playoffs into deeper into November? I mean, you could theoretically, you could have the World Series in the middle of November. And I mean, I don't know too many people who want that to happen, but do you just lose these games? I have a hard time imagining that the ownership groups will want to lose regular season games. That, I think, is sacred to them. And I think that deadline, the start of the regular season, is the thing that's going to drive negotiations. Just my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Because mostly the money, right? I mean, you saw what I mean. They're, I don't, they're not going to lose 100 games like they did in 2020. That's not going to happen. But the, for some of the small market teams, too, like even like really good teams like Tampa Bay, they're a small market team, they, how they run their team. And those games with fans matter. Look at the Diamondbacks. I mean, I mean, I know they don't get a lot of fans, but if they lose those games completely, like it kind of was with in 2020 when there were no fans in the stands, how much money teams lost. If they lose games like that, then that puts teams back a pretty good chunk, you know? So, yeah, I agree. I once this gets down to them potentially missing regular season games, I think that's when the, the rubber meets the road. so to say, you know what I mean? But I, I, I don't think they care too much. It, it's it'll suck for Arizona businesses and Florida businesses. If spring training games are missed because those are, you know, a lot of local businesses, I don't want to say depend, but, they get a nice boost from all the people that come in, especially to Arizona. Florida is kind of different because the, the parks are more spread out and they're not kind of not saying that all the Arizona parks are like right next to each other, but the Florida parks are way more spread out. They're, they're a couple hours from each one. And here it's kind of like, it's all kind of in the same area, except for those weird stadiums out in like surprise and stuff, Maryvale and all that. But a lot of them are in, you know, Scottsdale, Tempe, there's Mesa, Sloan park, obviously, and Holcomb. So a lot of 
local businesses depend on those games. So I hope that they get that sorted out to where we're not missing spring training games either. And of course that'll affect the um, on-field product in the regular season. If, if, if these guys aren't allowed in the facility, until the middle of March, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> You're going to see a lot more teams playing worse to start the year. And it, 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 it hurts, you know, teams kind of with holes that are deciding to maybe have competition at certain positions. You know, you don't get as long to see certain guys play and battle for a position or maybe that fifth spot in your rotation or a closer or whatever it is. It just it hurts everybody. So hopefully we're not going to miss too much. But I again I wouldn't be shocked if spring training doesn't start on time. So the players' association and the ownership will meet on Monday. That is their second meeting, as we talked about. Hopefully something progresses in those negotiations. I don't have high hopes. It doesn't sound like either of us do, um, but at least they are talking. All right, I want to move to something since there is no baseball to talk about. No signings. No trades. Um, nothing major other than tickets are on sale for spring training, but I don't know who's buying those right now when you don't even know that it's going to happen. Um, something that you pointed to me, uh, pointed out to me, Bear, was a tweet. It's a graphic, so I'm, I'm kind of just reading this off the cuff. This is from Talking Baseball, the podcast, and they were talking about things, moments, and moves throughout franchises' histories that have haunted their fans ever since. Uh, can I give you just a few examples before we get into what haunts the D-backs? Yes. All right. So, for example, they list Boston, the Red Sox. Their fans are haunted by letting Terry Francona go. I kind of get that. You know, he's a great manager. He's one of the best in the game. Uh, has had a lot of success with the Cleveland Indians, although they haven't won a championship, but they went to the World Series in 2016 under Francona. I honestly don't think that's the biggest thing haunting the Red Sox because they did win a World Series in, I think it was 19 or 18. Yeah, I was going to say. I think it was 18. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway. Yeah, something like that. Boston's not really haunted by much, I'll admit that. But, you know, they put, uh, like, for example, what's another one? Uh, Atlanta, trading several young players for Mark Teixeira. I don't know that that's a huge haunting, but okay. So I thought maybe we could go through and list off a few things. I don't know who those young players were, though. Oh, that? Okay, here, now you're testing me. That trade would have been, because it was to the Rangers. It's It's hard to know. That trade would have been... I want to say Neftali Feliz, okay, hold on. who won reliever of the year. I want to say he was in there. Um, Elvis Andrews, maybe? Oh, man. Now I'm really struggling because I, I know I'm wrong on a bunch of these. Alexi Ogondo, maybe? Oh, my gosh. Are you How looking are you this up? are you even naming these people? I'm, I am in the process. I'm trying okay. to find. I want to know if I'm right. Trying to find it. I want to know if I'm right. Um... um... There's a fourth. There were four. I remember there were this four. Is a terrible article. Because I was Hold growing on. up in Dallas at the time, so I feel like I should know at least most of this. Oh, okay. Mark Teixeira. Uh, I'm going to say no. Andrews, Feliz, Ogondo, and Matt Harrison. That's my guess. Okay, I got it. So in the trade, heading to Texas was Elvis Andrews, Matt Harrison, mm-hmm. Neftali Feliz. The one I got wrong is Alexi Ogondo. The one, the one who it was... Jared Saltalamachia. Ooh. See, but I don't know. Why would that haunt the Braves? I mean, they got Mark Teixeira. I mean, Elvis Andrews has been a good shortstop in the league for a long time. I mean, I say good. He's been a pretty average shortstop. His peak, I mean, he was like a 30 stolen base guy, but he never really hit much. 
So I don't think that's a big miss. Yeah, Matt Harrison was around for a minute. Yeah, the Tali Feliz is a good closer for a little while. I think he he broke the saves record for rookies, I think. Yeah, and then I think the Rangers were stupid and tried to make him a starting pitcher. Yeah, that's true. And it totally ruined his career. And Salta Lamakia was a decent hitting catcher. I think he was a switch hitter, if I remember right, but... He, yeah, he, he was never much either. I think that was a great trade for the Braves. Even even just having him for the short time that they did, I didn't think that was a bad deal at all. Yeah, I don't. I mean, if that's the worst, if that's the if that's the biggest thing that haunts Braves fans, uh, right? For me, if, if I were a Braves fan, I already I can already think of one that's that would haunt me more. The in that infield fly rule, remember. In the play, it was the playoffs, so they were playing to get to the playoffs. I can't remember, but do you remember that play where I, I can't even? It was it the Phillies they were playing. Um, someone hit a pop fly to, you know, just outside short, and it was outside of the infield. The umpire called infield fly, and then the ball dropped, and they could have gotten like a double play or something. But the umpire called an infield fly rule, and so it screwed everything up. <laughs> do you? Do you remember that? No, I don't remember the specific game, to be honest with you. But let's go through a few of the things that haunt the D-backs fans. Because I think you're certainly more than qualified as a a homegrown Arizonan and a D-backs fan since the very beginning. What are the biggest things that stand out to you that just haunt D-backs fans for the rest of their lives? (laughs) Um, Well, I'm going to start with one that they had talking baseball had on their graphic. And I think they have callers from certain, you know, that are fans of these teams call in and, 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 and place these and they made a graphic out of it. Okay. Um, but I'll start there trading Paul Goldschmidt away. Um, that, that stung. Um, and also it's just, it hasn't, what's made it just a bad move and haunting, I guess you could say is that it hasn't worked out at all for the D-backs, I think. I mean, Carson Kelly is a is a decent catcher. He's not, you know, he's not a middle of the lineup presence. He's not going to hit you 30 home runs. You know what I mean? He's a solid catcher. He's solid defensively, but I mean, he's he's not going to replace the production that Paul Goldschmidt had. And I don't think they were trying to get him to. They were trying to get some catcher out of it because they didn't really have a catcher at the time. But the main the main piece in that trade was Luke Weaver, and that has just not worked out ever since he got here. He's been injured. He's not pitched well. Um, he's had a couple flashes that make you think, wow, okay, maybe if he could stay healthy, he could be a solid piece in your rotation. But he just that just hasn't happened. So um, that one for sure I totally get. Um, another one is just signing Ismani Tomas. Um, that just, that set the organization back quite a bit. I think, honestly, um, they gave him a, what was it? A a $68 million deal. Like four years, maybe. Yeah. It was something like that. Four or five years. I can't remember exactly how long the contract was, but $68 million. And then the rumor was that Tony LaBrusa and Dave Stewart hadn't even seen him play in person. Um, it was kind of just like the, you know, the Dodgers had Yasiel Puig, you know, the Reds had a role this Chapman, all these Cuban players were kind of, uh, uh, I think he was still in Oakland. Uh, Cespedes was, was, you know, hitting bombs and stuff. And, you know, the, the D-backs saw Puig tear them up 
with the Dodgers firsthand. So I think there was just this, 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 you know, this uh, trend to sign guys out of Cuba and the D-backs just chose the wrong one. And Yasmani Tomas had, a, had one good year. I think it was 2016. He hit 30 home runs. And he had a – I mean, he. they tried to make him a third baseman. That was a disaster. He was terrible in the outfield. Just awful. Um, and it, it just – and it set this team back where they couldn't – that was a big chunk of their payroll was Yasmani Tomas. And it got so bad that they were – they just left him in the minor leagues paying him all that money. And yeah. he doesn't even play for you. Like, what is going on? It was so a, that. Those are two that, that. Those are my top two. I think. Okay, it was a six six year, sixty eight million dollar deal. Six years. Six oh, years, Lord. which brings the Lord. annual down a little bit. But at the same time, you got four years where he played in major league games, and one of those years he only played in four. Um, with, with a team too that doesn't really spend all that a lot of money in the first place like they have in a couple instances with with signing Zach Granke and then signing Madison Bumgarner well and there was no one in front of him right he played exactly because he played corner outfield which is a position the D-backs have struggled with for a long time now although they they made good deals occasionally JD Martinez was a great trade but he was only here for two months uh I liked the Cole Calhoun signing he just got hurt um, so they've had some guys, but not at the same time Yosmani was here. There was nothing stopping him from making the Major League squad other than he couldn't play defense. He was out of shape a lot of the time. I mean, I'm looking at his numbers. He hit 266 in the Major Leagues, which isn't horrible. Problem is his on-base was 306, so really they couldn't rely on him to get on base regularly. His OPS Plus was 97, so he's just below average Major Leaguer in terms of hitting. But when you pay a guy $68 million before you've ever seen him play the sport of baseball, you expect a phenom. That's the issue at, at play here is I agree with you. That's something that will haunt them for a long time is because what could they have done with that $68 million to add to that 2017 team that made the playoffs? Imagine if his contract wasn't on the books. I mean, you could have done something there. But yeah, yeah. I agree with you there. Another one that haunts me um is the Shelby Miller trade Ugh. that sent Dansby Swanson, Ender Inciarte, and Aaron Blair to Atlanta. That just, I mean, to be honest, okay, I'll be I'll be completely honest here. That was the same offseason where they signed Zach Granke, and I was thrilled about that. I didn't really care what the money was. I didn't care. And then they traded for Shelby Miller. I understood what they were doing. I understood what they were, they were trying to build this really good pitching staff and Shelby Miller had some pretty dang good years in right. Atlanta. I understood what they were doing. I just, I think, and maybe this is more of a Shelby Miller thing than anything, but I think the, the pressure that was placed on Shelby Miller, I think it really got to him. I think, I think he knew what the D backs were trying to do. They were trying to go all in, and he was going to be a huge part of it, and they needed him to be basically ace 1A to Zach Branke. And I think – I think, and I don't know this for sure. I haven't heard him talk about it. I, of course, haven't talked to him. But it just seemed like just the stuff that was happening with him, like the scraping his knuckles on the ground when he was pitching, like he'd never done that before. 
because there was no pressure ever put on him. I think he was thinking way too much, and I think he was trying way too hard. But that trade, too, because now Dansby Swanson, of course, is a World Series champion in Atlanta. True. He was a number he was the number one pick in the draft. And, you know, he looked like he was gonna be the D backs shortstop for a really long time. I know Nick Ahmed was already here. Um, but yeah, I mean it just and and even at the time too, like Ender and Ciarte was a good player. And he he had played really well for the D backs in center field. And I know they had Pollock at the time that was probably the thinking there that they were just gonna you know, have AJ Pollock for a long time, but then not knowing what his injury story would be. But yeah, that, that trade was just, it, it just, it just blew up in their face after everything that happened with Shelby Miller. It's well, just, I just, I'll never forget that trade. It will haunt me to the end of my days. And we all remember too. I mean, we can find ways to justify why they made the trade in the moment. I mean, he had had, he came off of a season where he was an all-star in Atlanta with a 3.02 ERA. Now, he went 6-17 and because he was on a bad Braves team that year. He had a league-leading 17 losses, but he was fantastic when he pitched. It was, mm-hmm. it was something that we hadn't seen before. So you figure you bring him to a better team, which Arizona was hoping that they had, and you, like you said, you pair him with a guy like Granke, who was the biggest name free agent. He was coming off of a season with the Dodgers where I think he had the lowest ERA for a guy who pitched 200 innings like ever. And all of a sudden, you've got this great top-of-the-order tandem, and Shelby Miller just crumbled under the pressure. By the way, his career ERA, 4.19, which I thought was not that bad when you consider the fact that he was garbage for more than half of his career. Yeah, just so, my opinion. So that means there was a a, a couple really, really, really good years. Well, his there. first three in St. Louis, he was fantastic. Then he goes to Atlanta, his fourth season. By the way, those were all before he turned twenty five. He came to Arizona in his t- age twenty five season and just stunk it up from there on out. And yep. he really wasn't all that serviceable at all. He was pretty bad actually with Arizona. He went five and, then, and eighteen. Ugh. Yeah. Don't ever say that to me again. Anyway, uh, the uh, of course another one I have to say is trading Max Scherzer away. Yeah, that will that speaks for itself. I mean, of course you're gonna have the people that say, well, you know, you you don't know if he would have stayed for as long as you know he he sure. didn't really he didn't really figure it out until like his third second or third year in Detroit. But still, like, I would rather have had Max Scherzer than not had Max Scherzer. So that's all I'll say about that. And can I offer you one that doesn't haunt me yet? Okay. But it might. But it might end up haunting me. Trading Robbie Ray at Mm. the time they traded hit Robbie Ray. Okay. Because if you look back at it, they literally traded Robbie Ray for nothing. They traded him to the Blue Jays for Travis Bergen who then they traded back to Toronto for I don't even know how much cash it was. It was cash considerations, I think it was. A couple hundred so they literally grand, yeah. gave Yeah, they gave Robbie Ray to the Blue Jays for nothing. For literally nothing. And now he wins the Cy Young Award last year. Um and he is now in Seattle, which I keep forgetting about by the way that he's a Seattle Mariner. Um but I I'm not haunted by this one yet, Steve. I'm not. But I might end up being. It depends on where his career goes from here. Because he is on top right now. He is 
the best pitcher. There's an award that says it. He is the best pitcher in the American League right now. And I don't know. I mean, I and of course, you know, people might jump on me being like, well, Cody, you were all in favor of trading Robbie Ray to the Yankees for Clint Frazier. I'm like, yes, yes, I was. Um, I, I thought it was time to trade Robbie Ray. And I was ready to move on from Robbie Ray because I thought 2017 might end up being the fluke year. And now he is, he is the best pitcher in the American League right now as it stands. But I, I'm still not like against them trading him away. But the fact that they got nothing, basically nothing in return really hurts to see and to see where he is now it makes it even worse. I don't even think it's so much the fact that they got nothing in return or that they traded him. For me it's like it's like when your ex-girlfriend gets a super hot new boyfriend. <laughs> like it doesn't impact you. It doesn't make your life any better or worse or anything like that. And you're not like, wow, I wish I had gotten something out of that. But it just sucks to look over and be like, oh man, what could have been, right? It I just mean, like, makes you feel bad, right? It right. just makes you feel like crap. Right. It has nothing to do with the fact that they traded him. We both agreed. You, I mean, at that time, I was ready to trade Robbie Ray and get nothing. I was fine with that. Like, just just get the guy out of here, and that's okay. Like, maybe he needs a new, uh, a new location to reset, and it turns out it worked. But it's the fact that it worked somewhere else. That's what eats at us, and I, I totally agree yeah. with that one. I got a couple more I can yeah. mention, too. Yeah, go for it. Um, here's one that I'm not really so much haunted by, but could have been haunted by. And that's trading okay. Trevor Bauer. Trevor mm. Trevor Bauer was yeah. a very highly ranked prospect. Uh, got picked very high in the draft. Everybody knew he had he was kind of dramatic. Everybody knew that he was uh, very quick witted, but at the same time willing to speak his mind even at his own expense. And he ends up getting traded to Cleveland. Has a really good tenure in Cleveland. And then now you know he goes to the Reds. He was really great with the Reds. Goes to the Dodgers. Signs an all-time high uh, annual average value contract. So Trevor Bauer, for all intents and purposes, was the best pitcher in baseball at one point in time. Yet, all the legal issues that are surrounding him, that's why it's not haunting me right now, because he's not even playing. He didn't play this past season, or at least not much. So it doesn't haunt me necessarily, but that's another guy, like you talked about Scherzer, or you talk about... You know, any of these guys that they traded, Robbie Ray included, you're like, what could have been if they had just stuck it out with that player? Where would he have been if he was a D-back for, I don't know about for life, but for six years? You know, the first six years of team control. Who knows what they could have accomplished with that? So Trevor Bauer's on my list, sort of. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. And and I'm, I'm like you. I'm not haunted by the Bauer trade that much because they did get D.D. Gregorius out of it. Um, That's a good point. And Didi Gregorius was a, a, a good player. He's the next um, Derek Jeter. But, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Why would you say that? Remember when Kevin loud? Tower said that? Yes. Oh, how uh, can I talk about haunting? I'll never forget that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Just that sentence um, haunts me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like like you were saying, I'm not as haunted by the Trevor Bauer thing because because of what's going on with him right now. I would be if I would be haunted for sure because if there was no like legal battle or whatever he's going through right now and he played because he's literally on the Dodgers now and that's the worst. <laughs> like like I, he's he's we would literally see him multiple times a year against the D-backs and carving them up. So um I'm not as haunted right now but like you said 
if the whole legal thing gets uh, sorted out with Trevor Bauer and he's, I don't think he'll pitch for the Dodgers again, but you know, on the off chance he does, I'll be haunted by him then. How about this but one? I'm not now. How about this one? Uh, this isn't so much a trade or anything like that, but how about the fact that Justin Upton never really turned into what fans expected him to turn into? Yeah. Upton was the caliber player. I mean, like, you know, a top overall pick, uh, can't-miss prospect, guy who converts to the outfield. He's got pop. He's got speed. Um, he can hit for average. He's got a great arm. He's super athletic. He was like a five-tool guy that I don't think the D-backs have had a lot of those in their 25-ish years of existence. And Upton came in. I mean, they named the outfield corner Uptown. <laughs> they were looking They were looking to brand this guy. They were looking for a player they could build the organization around and in a lot of ways, he was good. He was really good. I think he was even fourth in MVP voting in one year. But he just never got over that hump of becoming a franchise player. He was really good, but just wasn't that guy. I don't know if the leadership skills were there at the time. He obviously had a pretty nice career. He played for a long time. He might even still be in the league, but to be honest with you. but He is in the league. Yeah. But he's, I mean, he's, he's, not a, he's with the Angels. He signed up. He signed a five-year, $100 million deal with the Angels like three years ago or two or three years ago. Is I don't he, know how he... Is he a big uh, contributor? Does he play every day? I think he's their everyday left fielder, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, that might be their problem. But um, <laughs> I just feel like Justin Upton was this promise to fans. I mean, this is, pre- yes. this is pre-Paul Goldschmidt. This is... Mm-hmm before the D-backs started spending on Granke and Bumgarner to purchase big names. I mean, they made a deal for Upton where a lot of people thought this is the guy that's going to turn around the organization. I don't think there's been a lot of other saviors, I'm putting that in air quotes, saviors for the organization like Upton, and it just didn't work out. That haunts me. I mean, honestly, he might be the most talented, homegrown player that they ever had. I, I'm trying to think of maybe some other ones that I'm missing, but I mean, Paul Goldschmidt's definitely up there, but like just pure talent. And like you were saying, basically a five tool type player, Justin Upton was that he was, you know, he was the next like, okay, this is our guy. He's he, we drafted him number one overall. He's going to be the guy. And he had that 2011 season. He had, a, he was what? Like, fourth in the MVP voting or whatever it was. He was up there. He was getting MVP votes. He had a really nice season, but it just kind of spiraled from there. And what stunk about it was it wasn't even like injuries or anything like that. It was just the fact that the team wasn't very good. He started to say some stuff that the organization didn't like and they traded him away. And it just, it, 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 yeah, I don't know if I'm haunted by Justin Upton because I, I I kind of agree with what you said. He never really lived up to the potential that I think we all thought he was going to be. He had a he had a couple good seasons, like I said, but yeah, he was never really, you know, the he was. I don't know. It, Justin Upton's so hard to describe. Like he was an all star. But two, he was never, two-time all-star he, with the D-backs. Yeah, two, yeah, so but he never was that like consistent 
guy and I don't think he was a very good leader either. I mean, he was young, but still. Yeah, it's hard to ask a 24-year-old. He was 24 when he left. I mean, that's six years. He was 19 when he played his first game for the D-backs. And by the way, statistically speaking, in his career, he was best with the D-backs. He hit 278. He was on base 357. His OPS Plus was 118, which is... Uh, about where his average was for other organizations too, but he's had a long career and the D-backs were his best time in the major leagues. We're not saying he was a bad player. He just was kind of billed as this transcendent player and never really reached that here in Arizona. Yeah. Or anywhere. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And yeah, cause he goes to Atlanta and it, you know, played okay. Was he, he, yeah, he was a part of that, that, that first time San Diego tried to build that contender. Cause I think they went and got him and his brother and then James Shields and Will Myers and all that. And then, you know, and then yeah, wasn't he's Matt now Kemp in, in that deal too. It wasn't Matt Kemp. There yeah, for Matt a minute? Kemp, that's what it was. Yeah. It was Matt Kemp. It was him. It was him, Matt Kemp and Will Myers. That's what it was. And um, yeah, now he's in L. I almost said L.A. Anaheim. He it's is in LA. LA. I mean, it's L.A. Anaheim. Whatever. Whatever. Um, don't say that to a, a Dodger fan, though. By the way, that, that's a trigger. That's trigger words. Um, I'll fight them. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I don't know how he was able to get a hundred million dollars from the Angels, but I, they I, just like giving out money. But he'll be out of the players. League. He'll be out of the league really soon because you look at his last three years. His averages are 215, 204, and 211. His oh, on, boy. His on-base oh. percentage went from 309 to 289 to 296. So he's not even getting on oh, base. Lord. He's not playing with regularity. The last time he played 100 games was in 2018. So uh, he's kind of on his way down and out probably of the league. But this is a guy who put together a really good career, in my opinion, and his best time was with the D-backs. So it doesn't haunt me too much, but it's a player that could have possibly transcended what he did and could have been an all-timer. And it just stinks that he didn't turn into the best player in baseball the way we thought he could have. The other one, by the way, that haunts me, I actually, this doesn't haunt me so much. This haunts a lot of fans, and I hear about it every year. Basically, every time the Dodgers come to town, you hear about them peeing in the pool in 2017. Oh. <laughs> and it's I didn't not, even think about like it, an event yeah, that happened. <laughs> it's not so much a it's not a player. It's not a specific player, you know, although Adrian Gonzalez, I think, was heavily involved, uh, and Yasiel Puig. And yeah. it's not a specific player, it's not a specific uh it's not a specific trade or free agent signing. This is something that happened after a game where it was just so disrespectful. It was so uncalled sure. for and so gross, quite frankly. And the D-backs, I mean, the pool is something unique, something that I don't think any other team in the league has. Maybe, I don't know, maybe somebody does have a pool. But, I mean, the D-backs have had a pool all along, you know, basically since the beginning. So it's yeah. like a, it's like a distinct feature of your ballpark it's like if somebody beat the Brewers and then went on the slide. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so disrespectful. <laughs> they, they kicked the, uh, what's the Brewers mascot's name? Bernie? Yeah. They yeah. kick him, they throw him down the stairs, and right. they slide down the slide. 
Well, and the fact that the players ran out from the from the clubhouse and the dugout, they ran out to the outfield, jumped over the fence because I'm pretty sure they just weren't like let in, and then jumped in the pool. And I don't blame right. them for doing it necessarily, but it's so disrespectful, and it still haunts D-backs fans to this day. And like I said, it's every time they come to town, it just yep. adds that much more ugh, to every game that they play each other. It, it was so bad at the time that I remember – I think it was the Dodgers again. They had a chance like the next year or two years after that. Or, Oh no. You know what it was? It was, and it was so stupid because it wasn't even the right team. The giants, the giants came to town and they had like pool, like security. Do you remember that? Do you remember they lined like, like it wasn't like actual security guards, but it was like these people were just like in front of the pool, like guarding the pool and I'm like, it's not even the right team. Just, But it was just so traumatizing that the Dodgers did that. Like, And what sucked about it the most, too, was like, yeah, the D-backs did it when they clinched the division. But it was like the year after the Dodgers did it. So it was like they were copying the Dodgers yeah. in their own ballpark winning a division. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Because no one had ever done that before. It's almost like uh, I, it's almost like the Dodgers own the pool. And every time I'm at the yeah. ballpark and I look out at the pool, that's what I think of. And they're in they my they're in my head. Blue flag up in there. Yeah. That's what haunts me, man. And I think that's a literal <laughs> haunting. You know what I, I mean? Like, I don't I, regret yeah. anything. It's just like, the oh, my God. The ghost of Yasiel Puig is out there. Well, yeah. Haunting you. And we didn't do anything other than lose that game, which happened to be the game they clinched in. You know what I mean? It wasn't right. It wasn't right. like they beat us in the playoffs. It wasn't no. like they won the game to advance to the World Series. They were just going to the playoffs and having some fun, and it haunts our organization and our fans for till the end of time. And that's what yep. eats at me so much, and it's your rival. <laughs> like, if it had been the Cincinnati Reds, like, who cares? Right? Okay, yeah, I was like, okay, that's cute. Like, right. fine. The Marlins, okay, whatever. They deserve it. They haven't been to the playoffs since, like, 2001. <laughs> but, like, you know, it's the Dodgers, and that's why I think that might be the thing that haunts D-back fans the most, Ooh. and it has nothing to do with the players or anything the D-backs did. That's a good idea. That's yeah. a good thought. I didn't even think of that, honestly. I was just thinking about moves you know trades and signings and all that but that's a good that's a good thought yeah i think that's probably now and now i'm re-triggered thank you steve you're welcome if you think of any others suck uh, if you think of any others send them to us on twitter that would be pretty cool but uh anyway those are some of the moments and moves that kind of spark haunting memories in diamondbacks fans throughout the course of time uh something that was uh, a graphic we saw on twitter and we thought we'd have a little bit of fun with it Uh, Like we mentioned earlier, Monday, a meeting between the Players Union and the owners of the teams. That will be their second meeting. The owners made their proposal last week. Time for the players to make theirs. What will come out of it? We'll keep you posted here on the Ain't No Fang podcast. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. For Cody Fincher, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to the Ain't No Fang podcast here at ArizonaSports.com and on the Arizona Sports app.